Hey, thanks for listening to Cornerstone Church. You can find us on the web at akcornerstone.org. And we want you to know it's our prayer that the Holy Spirit will use this message to either save you through the good news about Jesus Christ, grow you into the likeness of Jesus, or send you to proclaim Jesus in the Spirit's power. What I want to do is I want to talk to you about a subject that really is from cover to cover in the Word of God. Obviously, it's one that is far too large to try to give any kind of a comprehensive treatment on, but I just want to give an overview of it, and we're going to use this as a prop a little bit later in the service. You'll find out what that's about. But I want to take you, take you to the subject of faith, and I want to begin before I actually get into the text that we're going to look at in detail today, I want to begin by just talking in general terms about how faith impacts our lives and the world and our enemy and even God Himself. First of all, how does faith impact you and I? I'm just going to give you four things from four different verses. Again, these are not comprehensive, just to highlight a couple of the incredible impacts that faith has on us. It says in Romans chapter 5 verse 1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That it is through faith in the person of Christ that we are justified or we are delivered or we are saved. So faith delivers us. Actually, it's Jesus that does, but it's faith in Jesus that becomes the venue through which that salvation comes. Pretty incredible impact. Romans 1.17 For in it, the gospel, the good news of Jesus, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So faith becomes the conduit through which the salvation of Jesus comes to our life and then it's the very essence of life itself. The righteous shall live by faith. It is what sustains that life day in and day out. Those who have been saved live by it. Number three, faith not only delivers and sustains, it protects. Ephesians 6.16, in all circumstances take up the shield of faith. Why? Why are, we to, why are we to take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one? It's by faith in God and in His promises and the person of Jesus Christ that we can defeat all the enemy brings against us. And then number four, faith empowers you. Hebrews 11, beginning at verse 33. This is a list of incredible men and women from the Old Testament. Just a quick list that the writer of Hebrews is giving and what took place through their faith. 
Verse 33 of Hebrews 11, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of the lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, and the list goes on. It is faith that empowers us. And that's four pretty incredible, pretty monumental impacts that faith has to life. How about faith? How does it impact everything that comes against us, the world and the enemy? First John 5, 4, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Our faith. Our faith in the person and work and promises of Jesus Christ. Pretty incredible impact. How about this category? What does our faith do to God? How does it actually influence or impact God? It's a pretty significant subject matter. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 says this, Without faith it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. You see, that verse says that without faith you can't please Him. I believe the opposite is also clearly implied in the text. Faith pleases Him. So what impact does our faith have on God? It pleases God. Just think about the reality of that for a minute, ladies and gentlemen. Think that you could bring a smile to the one that paints every sunset, puts the spot on every leopard, names every star. Your faith pleases Him. It not only pleases Him, listen, it impresses Him. Matthew 8.10. In Matthew chapter 8, Jesus goes to Capernaum and in Capernaum a centurion hears that Jesus had come to his region and he goes there to meet Jesus and he goes to implore Jesus because he has a servant that has had some kind of an accident and is paralyzed and is incredible suffering. And so he goes to Jesus for healing and Jesus says, I'll come and heal him. And the centurion said this, kind of a paraphrase, Jesus, you don't have to do that. Just say the word, and I know it'll be done. And here's what Jesus, how Jesus responded to that faith. Matthew 8, 10, when Jesus heard this, he marveled. Folks, that's God in the flesh. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. Jesus was amazed at the faith of this man. Our faith pleases God. Our faith impresses God. And then thirdly, our faith unleashes God. His power, His work. Mark chapter 11, verse 22 to 24, Jesus said to them, Have faith in God. 
Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. You see, faith unleashes the power of God. Just think about the stories in Scripture in which the power of God was released because of faith. How about a man in a robe standing at the edge of the Red Sea with about three million followers that he had led out of bondage to Egypt and in front of him is a sea and God says to him, stretch your staff over the water and he did and the water parted, the sea parted and they were led through on dry ground. Think about the man that was told the king's official that was told you cannot pray to any other God for a period of time and he refused to cease the exercise of his faith in God in prayer and it was the lion's den for him. But faith unleashed the power of God and that power shut the mouths of the lions. And then think of the three Hebrews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who were told to bow down to an idol and their faith in the one true God kept their knees straight and they refused to bow and into the furnace they went and instead of being consumed, their faith unleashed the power of God and they walked around in the flames with one, as the king said, one who looks like a son of the gods. As Jesus strolled around in the furnace with them. And the stories go on. Elijah, Mount Carmel, taking on 450 prophets of Baal. When their God could not answer, he built an altar and saturated it many times with water and then called out to God and the faith that he had in God to unleash the power of God and the fire fell and consumed the sacrifice and consumed the altar and consumed the water with which it had been saturated. Not only biblical history could we look at, but we could look at all of the ages of history in which Men and women took God at His word and His power was unleashed. So here's the million dollar question. If faith does all of those things and so many more, if it delivers and sustains and protects and empowers you, if it defeats the enemy and the world that would want to come against you, if it pleases God, impresses God, and unleashes His power, man, the question is, how do we become people of greater and greater faith? Because that will change the world. John chapter 4. In John chapter 4, we hear the story, we see the story of a man. A man who went through some stages of faith, some steps of faith. In fact, 
And here is the prop this morning, a man who climbed a stairwell of faith in John chapter 4. And we're going to look at that today. We're going to look at the steps of faith that this man took as he walked through this story. We get a little video clip into his life and watch. we watch him walk through what I'm going to call five different steps or stages of faith. So let's just read the text. John chapter 4, 46 to 54. And then we'll go back and look at it piece by piece. John chapter 4, verse 46. So Jesus came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. And as he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Let's look at this man's first step of faith. It says in verse 47, when this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Here is a man with a need. A man with a critical need. What do we know about this man? What can we surmise from the text? Well, it tells us that he was an official. He was a royal official of King Herod. So here's what we can gather from that. Here is a man that had money, that had power, and that had privilege. He had the best that the world could offer. And for a time, he may have felt like that was enough. But what happened is he turned the corner in life one day and he came up to a problem that he couldn't handle. He came up to a problem that nothing that he had could take care of. Money, he couldn't buy his way out of this problem. Power, he couldn't bully his way through this problem. Privilege, he couldn't bargain his way around it. You see, he could have had access to the best medical care that money could provide. But it couldn't fix the problem. All the avenues that he had pursued had taken him to a dead end. He was a desperate man with a deep need. And then here's what he heard. He heard a glimmer of hope. 
he heard a glimmer of hope. He heard that Jesus had come to Cana, had come to his region. And so this royal official, stripped of pretense, humbled by something he was powerless to handle, this dignitary said his tear-filled eyes and breaking heart toward Cana. Why? To seek the answer that nothing else could provide. Ladies and gentlemen, that's where it all begins. It begins with a seeking faith. There's step one. A seeking faith. A seeking faith is born within a needy heart, a needy life, a life that has come around the corner and ran into something that is bigger than it can handle, something that strikes at the very core of life that is really disastrous and yet insurmountable, that there's nothing that the world can offer to meet the need. I can come in a lot of ways. The recognition of a need that is bigger than life. It can come through illness that causes you to stare eternity in the face. It can come through heartache that causes you to see life from a radically different perspective. It can come from a personal failure that highlights your own depravity. It can come from purposeless living that leaves you empty and without significance. You see, a seeking faith, it begins with a need. And the need motivates a search. If you don't have any needs, why search for an answer? It's the need that motivates the search. And a seeking faith will take at least three actions, same actions that the man took. He heard, he went, and he begged. He heard, he went, and he begged. Ladies and gentlemen, have you come to the place in your life where you've come up against the problem that is a disastrous problem that nothing in the world can solve? A problem that has made you realize the frailty of your own life a problem that has helped you to understand that you are a person with a desperate need, that you're broken, that you're a sinner, that you need something, someone to save you. Well, listen, I have some very good news for you this morning. A glimmer of hope, just like this man received. Jesus is in your region. In fact, He is right here this morning. And He is looking to come alongside people with a hopeless, helpless need. To do for them what no one else or nothing else can do. Look at Jesus' response to this man's plea. 
He asked Jesus in verse 47 to come down and heal his son for he was at the point of death. And Jesus' response in verse 48, so Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Man, does that sound like a harsh response? I mean, on the surface, it really does. So what are we to surmise here? Is Jesus an uncompassionate guy? Well, what do we know about Jesus? I mean, what does the whole story tell us about Jesus and his compassion? Well, let me just give you a couple bullet points here. Jesus looked over Jerusalem and he wept with compassion over Jerusalem because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus saw the crowds coming to him day in and day out, and he was moved by compassion for them. He stood outside of the tomb of a friend that had died, and it brought tears to his eyes. And he began to weep as he saw the sorrow and felt his own sorrow. He stood between a guilty prostitute and an angry mob, and he defended her out of compassion for her plight even though she was drugged before him, guilty and in shame. Does that sound like an uncompassionate guy? How about this? He hung on the cross. And he looked down at the ones that held the mallets that drove the spikes through his flesh. And he said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. You see, Jesus is the Greatest compassionate soul that ever breathed. So what is Jesus doing here when he says to this man who is asking for him to come and heal his son, what does Jesus mean when he says, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe? What Jesus is doing is he is seeing beyond the moment, the need of the moment, And he's focused on the need of forever. You see, Jesus is not here. He didn't come to just heal our bodies. He came to heal us for eternity. He didn't come to just put a little bondo and spray paint on our physical ailments so that we can look and feel better for another year. He came to heal us forever, to give us a body that will never wear out, one that will always be new every day, undiminished in its strength, impervious to disease and decay. You see, if Jesus heals us now physically, sickness and death will still come. Mortality is hanging about at 100%, right? If Jesus fixes our relationships now, at some point, another breach will occur. What He wants to do is to give us hope in the midst of our frailty. He wants to come and do something about our eternal need, our forever need. Yes, He does meet the needs in the moment as well. But the big need is our eternal reality. The big need 
is that we have a problem we can't fix, and it's called sin. And our sin brings us under the wrath of a holy, just God. And we have one great desperate need, and that need is that we need our sin taken care of so we can enter into a relationship with our Creator and our God and live in joy and happiness with Him forever. And only Jesus can meet that need. So this man had a seeking faith. And Jesus likes to respond to faith. And the man says something in response to Jesus' comment. I want you to see it in verse 49. So in verse 48... Jesus says to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And here is the man's response. Verse 49, the official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. You see, this man not only had a seeking faith, this man had a singular faith. I'm going to call it that. Here's what I mean by that. This man was focused on one thing and he was focused on the one person who could do something about the one thing. It was a singular faith. A singular faith that was deep with sincerity, that was comprehensive and complete in his life. It was everything in his vision. It was a faith that was coming from his whole heart. Do you know that's what Jesus is always looking for? Jeremiah 29, 13 God says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with what, church? Say it again. With all of your heart. With all of your heart. See, here is a singular faith. You see, most of the people who sought out Jesus, they were sign seekers. Like he states there in verse 48, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Most of the people who came to Jesus, they weren't there with a sincere, singular faith looking to him. They just wanted the show. They wanted the show. This man was not seeking a sign. You know what he was seeking? He was seeking life. He was seeking life. With all of his heart and soul, he was seeking life. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, where are you at this morning? Are you seeking? Have you come around a corner in your life where you've come up against something that is bigger than life, that has shown you your absolute desperation and hopelessness, where you understand that there's nothing in all of life that can take care of your problem? God wants to use that to point you to the one, the one, the only one who can do something about that problem. 
John chapter 40, uh, John chapter 4, verse 50, the first part of verse 50. The story goes on. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. What was Jesus doing right here? I think in addition to responding to this man's desperate plea, Jesus was asking this man to do something. Do you see what it is? He's asking him to believe without seeing. Go and your son will live. Where was his son? His son was 20 miles away in another town. Jesus didn't say, I'll come down there with you and walk with you to give you that visible assurance that I'm going to go and heal him. Jesus said, go, your son will live. What is Jesus doing here? Jesus is calling this man to the next level of faith. You see, the man had taken a step of faith to come to Jesus Now the question is, will you take me at my word and turn around and walk back home believing without seeing it? Here's a picture of the third step of faith. This man had a seeking faith and he had a singular faith in Jesus. But then listen to what it says in the last part of verse 50. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. He took Jesus Christ at his word, which was a saving faith. When we take Jesus at his word, that he is who he says he is, that he came to do what God had sent him to do and that he accomplished it so that he is the way, the truth, and the life, the only way to get to the Father when we take Jesus at his word. Our faith in who he is and what he has done becomes a saving faith. Matthew chapter 11, 28 and 29, Jesus said, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus Christ is telling you, he's telling me, he's told me, and I responded, Come to me, he said, and I will take care of what you cannot take care of. I will meet the one great need that nothing in the world can meet if you come to me. It's the only place where you're going to find rest for your souls because it's the only place where you're going to find forgiveness of your sins and be able to enter into a right relationship with your Creator and your God. That's why Jesus said, come to me. Because He is the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. And when you take him at his word that he is the very son of God who left heaven to come for the very express purpose to die for your sin. 
and that he, on the cross, paid the penalty for your sin in full and did exactly what he said he was going to do, rise three days later, when you believe in that, your faith becomes a saving faith. And when you do that, quite often you have to do what this man did. What did this man do? He took Christ at his word and he began this new walk of faith as he headed home. But listen, he had to wait to see the difference and work to see the difference. Does that make sense? His son was 20 miles away. And Jesus said, go, your son will live. And he, in faith, took Jesus at his word, turned his feet back toward home, began a new walk of faith, but he couldn't see the results yet. He had to wait to see the result, and he had to work to see the result. He had to walk all the way home to see it. And that is the way that it will work with us. You see, when you place your faith in Jesus, salvation is instantaneous and transformation is lifelong. And you can't necessarily see anything different the moment of salvation, but it's the process of sanctification. It's the new walk in which God comes into your life and begins to change you from the inside out that as you wait to see and work to see the difference he begins to perform that in you does that mean you accomplish it on your own absolutely not does that mean you earn any bit of it absolutely not it simply means that God does the transforming over a period of time as you walk with him And as you do that, you begin this new walk. Here is what God will be doing in you. Verse 51 to 53. As he, as this father, this broken-hearted father was going down back home, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better and they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him and the father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. Do you know what happened in that moment to this man's seeking, singular, saving faith? You know what happened in that moment? It became a strengthened faith when he found out for certain that the moment Jesus said, your son will live, that the fever took a hike and his son began to recover. What's God doing in you? If you're a son or a daughter of God, he is wanting to strengthen your faith. He's wanting to strengthen your faith. He wants you to believe in him. Jesus was always looking for faith in his disciples. When he found someone with faith, he was impressed or amazed when he found those who didn't believe. 
He was disappointed and surprised. How does Jesus strengthen your faith? Well, he does it the same way he did it right here. Do you see that? What did he do right here? A man took Jesus at his word and he began to walk a walk of faith. And as he did that, Jesus' power showed up and proved it to be the very power of God and the man's faith was strengthened. He'll do that for us. We got to take Jesus at his word and then act on his word. So what do you need to do then to have a strengthening faith? You need to know his word and you need to act on his word. And as you do that, God will show up in your life and he'll unleash some of his power in your life and it will amaze you and it will Prove and validate the fact that God is alive and well and he cares about you and he's involved in your life so that you have more confidence the next time to do something even greater and then he shows up and he strengthens you so that this walk of faith can go from strength to strength. That's how it works. That's how it works. But it requires a step of faith when you can't see. That's why Hebrews says that faith is the certainty of things hoped for and things not seen. You see, you take God at His word. You believe in the God that you know already. You understand who he is in part and what he's capable of. And so you take him at his word and you read his promises and then you act upon his promises. And as you take those steps of faith, you know where the, you know where the fruit is on a limb? Is it at the tree trunk? No, it's, it's out away from the tree trunk. You take a step of faith when you can't see the guarantee, you take the step of faith and then God shows up and shows himself powerful. And when he shows himself powerful, that seeking, sincere, singular, saving faith becomes a strengthened faith because God showed himself to be the God that's still alive and well and engaged in your life. That's like all of those stories that I mentioned earlier and Stories that have happened down through history and I'm sure that have happened in many of your lives where God has shown up in a powerful way. Folks, I've seen God. I've seen God do some incredible things. I remember about a nine or ten year old impressionable boy had a father who every couple of years would throw his back out. I mean, talking about my father and me as a boy. And my dad is one of the toughest guys on the planet. But he'd come home crawling because he couldn't walk. And he'd be that way for a couple weeks and then he'd get back to getting around and then back to work. And then a couple years later he'd throw that out. So he went to the doctor finally one day and they had him sit on a chair and 
put his feet on another chair, stuck his legs out, and he had pretty obvious what the problem was. He had one leg about an inch and a half shorter than the other leg, literally. We went to the church that we attended, had the elders of the church gather around my dad, anoint him with oil. I'm about a nine or ten year old. I'm standing there in the center of the circle. Took my dad's shoes off. They put his feet up on a chair. There was one leg clearly shorter than the other, significantly shorter than the other. And they anointed him with oil and began to pray. And this nine or ten year old boy watched that leg grow right before my eyes until his legs were the same length and for 40 years he hasn't had one problem. i tell you story after story like that where God has shown himself to be true, shown himself to be God. When somebody steps out in faith and takes him at his word, So we have a seeking faith and a singular faith and a saving faith that became a strengthened faith. What's the last step? John chapter 4, verse 53b, the last part of that verse. What happened when this man got home? It says, and he himself believed in all his household. He himself believed in all his household. You know what this man did? I'm just going to paint a picture if you give me some liberty here. This man went home and he gathered up his well boy in his arms. Standing there with his seeking Singular, saving, strengthened faith. He gathered up his boy in his arms and he said to his son and he said to his family, I was 20 miles away with a man named Jesus. And he said, you will live. And son, listen to me. At that moment, the fever left you. And you were healed. And what happened to the son and the family? They all believed. Why? Because this man had a sharing faith. This man, like an artesian well, bubbling up inside of him, looking to tell about the glory of God and the power of God breaking through in the person of Jesus Christ and what God wants of all of us in our walk of faith for a son or a daughter of God is he doesn't want us to stop at a saving faith. He wants us to go on into a strengthened faith that becomes a faith that is contagious and is shared with people around us so that they come to find the God that can save them when they come to the realization that they are up against a problem they cannot solve and they need the power of God in their life. You see, I think the Scripture says that the stories that we are given here 
though we only hear a few of them from the life of Jesus, they're meant to give instruction to us about the things of truth. You see, I think this story is an incredible picture of this growth of faith in a man's life given for the purpose not to just tell us a cool, quaint story. It's meant to show us that the same way faith can grow in us so that we can be saved if we're not. And if we are saved, we can be strengthened in the power of God and become effective witnesses for Him in the world around us. What about you? great opportunity here coming up in a couple weeks with Luis Palau coming. Been praying for some of your friends, your neighbors. Time to take that saving faith and make it a sharing faith. Invite them to come. Yes, invite them to come and hear about Jesus from Luis, but not just from Luis, from you. From you. You're a follower of Christ. You've been given a, a mission, a great commission. And a part of that commission is to tell other people about the saving work of Jesus Christ through his death and resurrection. So here's what I want to do to close this. Worship team, would you come? I just want to take an opportunity this morning. Let's take God at His word. God's the same God today as He was yesterday and will be forever. Yes, ultimately what He wants to do is He wants to save you eternally. And if you are not saved, if you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, you can do that this morning. And you can leave here saved and have your future, your eternity secure. So I encourage you to put your faith in Jesus. If that's you. But for others of you, God is also the God that heals. He heals physical bodies. Do you have a physical problem that you need a touch from God? He's a God that heals relationships. He heals emotions. He heals broken hearts. He's the same God today. So can we take him at his word? I'm just going to invite you to come. If you want to be prayed for, you just come to one of these altars here, either on my left or on my right. And if you do that, I'll come over or somebody else will come over and they'll just put a hand on you and just pray for the power of God to break out in your life and do what only God can do. If there's elders or pastors in here, you, Chris, you cover over here on this side at least. And, but we want to invite you to come. As we sing, if you want to be prayed for, uh, you come. Take God at His word and come. Step out on faith. Let's sing. Please stand.